Many of you are probably familiar with Nathaniel Hawthorne's classic, The Scarlet Letter. And, uh, you're probably familiar with the fact that it uh, centers around a young lady named Hester who has a child uh, that's conceived through an adulterous affair. Um, and so because of where she lives, the time frame she lives in, there's punishment for this. And her punishment consists of spending time in jail and um, being having to stand on the scaffold in town square uh, for three hours with the purpose of public humiliation. And then she's also having to wear this scarlet A um, on her chest for the rest of her life. That she must bear this title of adulteress for the rest of her life. And so um, she's going to be labeled that way. In fact, she's not just going to be labeled that way. She's going to be treated that way. And she's going to be shunned. Um, both her and her daughter are going to be shunned by the rest of the town. That the folks aren't going to have anything to do with them. They're going to avoid them at all costs. And um, However, through all of that punishment, they, they try to get her to name who it is that she had an affair with. And so she is, is protecting him, and she won't give up the name of the person. And so you only know it because you know the backstory, but you don't know it through her. She never tells the name, at least not initially, of who it was that was the father of her child. And so she has to suffer all of these consequences um, from her affair, from her uh, infidelity. And initially it looks like that he kind of gets off scot-free. But as the movie and the book unfolds, we find out that just because the other people don't know his name doesn't mean that he escapes the consequences and the danger of the uh, the affair. In fact, while she is suffering externally and physically, he's suffering physically and internally. He, he is eat up with tragedy. He's eat up with remorse. He's eat up with guilty conscience. And uh, his health really starts to decline. Um, and they have suspect, reason to suspect that um, the reason it's declining is because of unconfessed sin. And so he, he finally um, gets to the point of death and he climbs up on the scaffold where Hester was um, was punished years earlier and he dies there in front of everybody after having confessed his sin. And in the book, I don't know if any of the movies portray it this way, but in the book, uh, several witnesses who saw him die say that they saw a mark, a stigma, if you will, or a stigmata, if you will, of a scarlet A in the exact same place that Hester had worn hers. So that even though she was forced to wear it on the outside, he was wearing the same torment on the inside of himself. And so while uh, Hawthorne looks in this work of fiction, he really does spin this as kind of this romantic um, situation where these two people are in love and they just can't be together. And uh, But even though aside from that, there is some truth in what Hawthorne presents in this book, in this classic novel. And the truth is simply this, that regardless of how you justify it, adultery uh, is never going to live up to the fairy tale that it presents itself to be. It always presents itself as something beautiful and something great and something that's going to have no consequences whatsoever. But it's never going to live up 
to the fairy tale that it presents itself to be. And that's true of premarital adultery, adultery of being with someone before you're married, or extramarital adultery, which is adultery while you are married to someone else. And so both those are adultery because they fall outside the bounds and definition of what God prescribes for marriage and what God prescribes for physical intimacy. And so we're going to look this morning and see the dangers of this relationship. We're going to see the dangers of this scarlet letter, and we're going to find out that it goes far beyond just a scarlet letter that you would wear on the outside. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 5 of Proverbs this morning, sprinkling a little bit of chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 5. Um, we're going to read down through verse 14. Skip down to 18 and skip down to 21. Um, and so we're going to read through that this morning. But the message of this is clear, that adultery always presents itself one way, but it ends up very differently. And I know that you may be sitting there right now and you may be watching this or you may be watching it later. And you may be thinking, this has nothing to do with me. There is, I'm not worried about this. This is not something I'm concerned about. I'm not worried that I'm tempted in this way or shape or form. Um, and i got to be honest with you. There are a lot of people who find themselves on the other end of an affair on the other end of adultery who thought the same way. In fact, I would say that the vast majority of people who find themselves in that situation are thinking just like many of you are right now. That this is not something I need to worry about. This is not this is not a concern for me. That I am happy. That I'm content. That I don't have to worry about this at all. And so I got to tell you this morning, and the reason that we, we're going to focus on this is because it's part of God's uh, inspired word, and it goes with just the text that we're working through at the time. But man, this has to be something so relevant in our culture today because man, this is hitting so many people, even within the church. This is hitting so many people, even in church leadership. And so don't be so quick to dismiss this subject um, without heeding the warnings and the ways to uh, defend against it. So with that, let's go ahead and start in our text. And uh, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, like I said, and we're going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse 14. So Proverbs 1, or excuse me, Proverbs 5, verse 1 says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen closely to my understandings so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Through the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil. In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, my son, listen to me and don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Otherwise... You will give away or give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, How I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I did not obey my master, my teachers. Or listen closely to my mentors in verse 14. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. And we're going to skip down uh, to verse 18. Not that the rest isn't important, but just for time's sake. Verse 18. It says, Let your fountain be blessed 
and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. And we want to skip down one more time to verse 21 just because we're going to hit on it in the, in the sermon today. In verse 21 it says, For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we have together, God. We thank you uh, for texts like this who, who find us in different places, God. For some of us, this text is going to find us in need of repentance, in need of confession, in need of rebuilding and restoring. God, for some of us, this text is going to find us in need of a warning. And it's going to be kind of a red blinking light that we just need to put the brakes on some things going on in our life. And God, for some of us, maybe it's not a red blinking light. For some of us, it's just a yellow light that's blinking, a caution light. And God, we just need to be aware of what's out there. And we just need to be aware of uh, what is around us and what's surrounding us. And so we just need to be uh, on our guard and, and ready to guard our hearts like we talked about last week. And so, Father, I'm praying that wherever we're at in whatever situation we are in this morning, God, that you will speak through your text as you promised to do. Uh, God, that you will speak to our hearts and, and you will prepare us for whatever it is that you're going to use this passage to teach us this morning, Father. And, uh, God, it's not a subject that we want to talk about a lot. It's not a subject that we uh, like to, to discuss. And In fact, it's one of those topics that often is so uh, quickly brushed under the rug that we sometimes forget that it's even a, an idea or it's even a possibility for any of us. And so, God, I pray this morning that you speak to us. And I pray that we are open. And then we will listen, uh, God, some of us to your correction, some of us to your instructions, but all of us to your warnings and to the desires of our heart. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, several years ago, uh, my wife uh, was doing her Black Friday recon work. And uh, for you guys that know my wife, she loves Black Friday shopping and she kind of does this whole like preparing the mission. She gets the sales papers and all that. And um, as she was doing her recon work, she pointed out an, um, an item that was a really, really good deal. I mean, it was like almost less than half of the normal cost of it. And she mentioned that this was something that she kind of would be interested in. And so I, being the good husband that I am not often, but somewhat try to be, um, I, I took mental note of that. And I was like, okay, so this is something she's looking at. And so something she may want for Christmas. And so I decided um, that, that I was just going to make this mental note of it. So when Black Friday came, my wife set out on her uh, mission at like ODART 400 or whatever hour this mission starts. And, and I do the safe thing. I stay at home with the kids. All right, she can she can go battle the crazies at whatever time the stores open and all that. And I'm just going to stay at home with the kids. But this Black Friday, we like I said several years ago, we only had one little one at the house at the time, and so she set off on her mission. and And I had my own little secret mission that I was planning, kind of in the background. You see, I was going to let her get up and, and fight the crowds, and and my plan was that I was just going to wait until about lunchtime because I figured around lunchtime uh, the crowds had died down a little bit. The, the, the craziness that you see on TV and the craziness that all the people rushing in the stores wouldn't be as bad around lunchtime. So I decided around lunchtime I was going to pack up the little one and we were going to set off to one store to go look for this one item that was such a great deal and I was going to be like husband of the year forever because of this. All right, So this was my mission. This was my plan. And so that's what I did. Around lunchtime, I got ready, and I, I got a little, our daughter ready, and I put her in the, the uh, car seat, and we set off to the store. We were going to this one store, and we were going to be, just, we were just, it's going to be so quick, man. We are just going to get in there, do our mission, and get out and get home, and, and all that before my wife ever knew anything was going to happen. 
And so we got to the store and I found the item that I was looking for and I was like, yes, this is a success. This is awesome. The only problem was that when I found the item that I was looking for that my wife had pointed out in the sales papers, it wasn't for the price that was mentioned in the sales papers. It was marked as the original price. And so I was like, wait, this isn't right. Like this, I, in fact, I even had the sales paper with me. And so I'm looking at the item. I'm looking at the, pro, the, the item on the shelf. And I'm looking at the sales paper. I'm like, that's the exact same thing. Like th that's what I want, but I want it for this price. And so it took me about 30 minutes of walking around the store carrying the, um, the carrier with my daughter in it. And, and by the way, people are no nicer to you when you're carrying a baby around in the store um, than they are any other Black Friday experience. But I, I carried this around and it took us about 30 minutes to find somebody to ask about this thing. And so I showed her the article and I said, ma'am, I'm looking for this particular item. And she said, well, we're sold out of those. And I said, well, no, ma'am, I actually, I actually found them. I found them on a shelf back on this other aisle over here. Um, my real question is the price that's marked on that shelf or on that item there is not what's marked here on the sales paper. And, and she just kind of laughed at me and she said, well, um, that's because we're sold out of those. And I was like, no, you're, you're not sold out of them. You have them. Just I want to know why the price is different. She literally laughed in my face and she said, uh, well, um, honey, we only had about 10 of those at that particular price. And if you wanted one at that price, you should have been here when we opened because we honestly sold out of those 10 probably within the first two or three minutes of our store being open. And so I was, but she would be happy to sell me the, um, the same item for the original price that was marked there. If I really wanted the item, I could get it. It was just going to cost me more than I was expecting to pay for because I was expecting this really good deal and it wasn't going to happen for me because I, I didn't see that I, because I was living under this delusion uh, that I could get this really great deal without having to get up super early, that I could get the same deal as everybody else without having to fight the crowds or, or get up early or do all this stuff. And so I was under this delusion that as long as the item was there and it wasn't sold out meant that I could get it for the same price. And I found out real quickly that that's not the way Black Friday works. I found out real quick that this was a delusion because just because something is advertised at one price doesn't mean that everything in that store is that price. In fact, that sometimes you're going to get to the store and they're going to pull a bait and switch on you. They're going to advertise one thing, but they're going to offer you something totally, totally different in the background. So the delusion I had with Black Friday is the same delusion that so many people have when it comes to adultery. That uh, so often adultery, whether it's premarital or extramarital, both of them fall outside the bounds of what God has put. That so often uh, people have this delusion that it offers something cheap, that it offers something simple, uh, but then it switches to something that costs way more than expected. It switches and it ends up costing us in ways that we didn't even see coming. I tell you, I walked away from that store not buying anything because I was so upset, uh, kind of at the false advertisement of what had happened. But that delusion is what so many people feel or see or perceive as a reality when it comes to adultery. And this is the warning that uh, Solomon gives 
to his son in uh, the first part of chapter 5 to beware of the delusion of adultery that you're going to think that it's one thing you're going to think it's offering something but man it is completely different on the backside so since solomon is writing to his son throughout most of this book he's going to address in verse 3 the forbidden woman and so i wanted to kind of give us this word of caution as we look at this text that this is not an exclusive understanding of the text it doesn't have to be a text that just applies to a son and a forbidden woman. It could very easily apply to a woman or a daughter and a forbidden man, right? So somebody who you're not married to. So it, it could be the same, it could be the same idea, uh, but it gives this warning uh, that he's gotta watch out for this forbidden woman. So in verse three, Solomon says this. He says in verse three, though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oh this is the advertisement of the forbidden woman this is someone who clearly is not his wife she's forbidden for some reason one because she's not his wife and there may be other reasons we'll get to that in just a minute uh, but she's offering something sweet she's offering something that's pleasant she's offering something that's desirable and something that's alluring she she's promising pleasure and she's promising fulfillment of your desire she's promising something that will satisfy the cravings of this young man but i want you to notice the the bait that she's using is not just physical it's not just her looks because solomon warns her not just about her lips you see in that verse though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey he he warns his son about something else and her words are smoother than oil. You see, what he's warning her is, listen, it's not just a look. It's not just a physical thing. This is not just the physical bait she's offering. She's willing to use other types of bait. She's willing to use uh, other things that will lure you in. She's willing to use words of, of encouragement, words of entitlement, words of emotion. She's going to use your emotions and uh, maybe even your pride. Or She's going to appeal to uh, your sense of... Um, of uh, entitlement, your sense of this is something I deserve. She's going to appeal to all these different things. And so don't be deceived in thinking that it's just a physical look that you have to be concerned about, that, that the only bait that she's going to use is her physical body. She's going to use that and her words. She's going to use other types of bait to entice you. And so the bait that she used, man, it is so appetizing that men will literally become delusional in their thinking, all right? Whatever type of bait it is that attracts them in, whether it is the physical or whether it's the word, whatever it is, it's so enticing that, that men become this delusional thing. They, they stop thinking rationally. And I know some of you are joking right now. You're like, well, men don't think rationally anyway. That's not true. At least not of all men, okay? Some of us do think rationally, but uh, they, they, they stop kind of thinking long-term. They stop thinking rationally, and then they just blindly follow the bait. Wherever the bait goes, they're going to go after it. Wherever the bait is, whatever that entices them, they're just blindly going to follow this right into the trap that they don't even see coming. They, they know there's a trap there. They're just so blinded by the bait, they're going to follow right into it. In fact, uh, Solomon writes about this in, Psalm, in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. He says that she seduces them, or she, does, she being the forbidden woman, seduces him with her persistence pleading, and she lures him with flattering talk. Now watch this in verse 22. He follows her impulsively like an ox 
going to the slaughter, like a deer bound towards a trap. You ever thought about ox going to a slaughter or, or deer that know a traps ahead? A rational ox would not follow another ox into a slaughterhouse. A rational deer would not see a trap and not try to avoid it. But it's just impulsive, man. The bait is just there. And they, they just are lured into it. I want you to think, for you guys that are hunters for just a minute, uh, you put out these big, huge salt blocks for a deer. A rational deer is going to come up to that thing and be like, wait, this is odd. Like, There's just this big block of salt in the middle of the woods. This doesn't make sense. This is dangerous. But they don't do that. They're delusional and they, they don't think rationally. What they do is they just sit there and start licking it. And then they come back the next day and they, they start licking it more. And, and eventually the hunter shows up and he takes care of the deer who, who doesn't think, hey, this is weird. This is odd. And so this delusion is there because the advertisement is so enticing. The advertisement is that, that this is not a problem. The advertisement is that, that listen, this is just a, a moment of passion that nobody's going to get hurt in. This is this moment of passion that it's really, it's really just harmless fun. Maybe it even starts with just some uh, harmless flirting or harmless talk. And it's really just harmless fun. Nothing is going to come of this. Like, I can stop this whenever I want to. And uh, then nobody's really going to get hurt with any of this. This is all just harmless, innocent fun. And this is the powerful advertisement. But the problem is, that's not the reality of the world. That's the delusion that people live in, but that's not the reality, even within the context of what he says. And we go back to chapter 5, verse 4, and he says, listen, what she's advertising is just a delusion to you. It's just false advertisement because chapter 5, verse 4 says, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two-edged sword. I want you to see this, this contrast here. It says the advertisement is sweet like honey. It is, it is pure, but man, the results are different. The, the advertisement is sweet like honey, but the results are bitter as wormwood. By the way, wormwood um, in this Hebrew context is the same word that um, could be translated as um, hemlock. All right. It is not only bitter, but it is extremely toxic and extremely deadly. In fact, even adult humans can be killed by ingesting hemlock. They can be killed or um, yeah, sorry, they can be killed by ingesting, but they can even suffer from skin irritation just by touching it, or they can suffer from respiratory issues just by inhaling uh, the the pollen from it. This is deadly stuff, and so she's advertising something that's sweet and something that's passion, but she's delivering something that is honestly toxic and dangerous. And then it says her words are smooth, but this as sh- but at the end she's as sharp as a two-edged sword. There's no bigger contrast between something that's smooth like oil and something that is sharp like a sword. And so the smooth oil of her words actually turns into a a sharp double-edged sword. And there's really only one purpose for a sharp double-edged sword. It is to wound and to kill. And so what seems like something smooth is really just a hidden attack. It is really with the whole intent of destroying and killing and wounding and maiming the person that's going to take the bait. And so Paul or Solomon has made it clear, the warning is so clear, don't fall for the illusion of adultery. Don't believe the false advertisement of this is just harmless fun or these are just innocent little comments that are said. Or, and don't, don't think that nothing bad is going to come from this. Don't believe the smooth talking lips and the promises of cheap pleasure. 
because they don't come without a price. You see, the true danger or the true delusion of adultery is that you never see the real dangers coming until it's too late. You see, you're blinded from what is really dangerous to you. And Solomon goes to great lengths over the next section of this passage. He goes over great lengths to make sure that his son knows then these dangers are real, these dangers are true, and these dangers are multifaceted. It means they're going to come at you from so many different directions that if you fall for this forbidden woman, if you give in to this forbidden woman, man, you think your problems are going to go away. It's not. In fact, they're going to multiply. And they're going to come at you from every different direction that you can imagine. So the very first danger that Solomon warns his son about, and the danger that he talks about first, is not so much specific, but it's simply this. You need to know that the dangers that I'm talking about they are long-term dangers. This is not just a simple little problem that's going to go away quickly. No, these dangers have long-term consequences. The dangers and the effects of the decision of the sin is going to last far longer than the physical act itself. You see, the danger of a one-night stand is that the dangers last much longer than the one night does. The dangers of the pleasure or that they last much longer than the pleasure itself. Verse 9, he starts to list out all these dangers that come with listening to the forbidden woman and the consequences of the adultery. And he warns his son to stay away from him. And in fact, in verse 9 or verse 8, he's really warning her, don't go near her. And he says, otherwise, if you, if you do go near her, if you do give in to her, otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Did you see what he said there? Years. He doesn't say months. He doesn't say minutes. He doesn't say moments. He doesn't even say weeks. He says years. In fact, that word can be translated not just as years, but as a lifetime. You see, honestly, we live in this culture that is so blinded by the here and now, blinded by the what's in front of me, that we don't think about long-term consequences of our action. That we're so blinded by the right here, right now, that we don't think about what this decision is going to mean for us a year from now, or two years from now, or five years, or even ten years down the road. This decision that I'm making right now is going to have an effect years down the road. And, and so the, if you venture into these sexual sins, there's going to be consequences that are going to linger years and years into your life. In fact, some of them are going to linger for the rest of your life. And so you really have to ask yourself this question, are there few moments of pleasure, are there few moments worth the long-term consequences that can result from the choices you make? Because Solomon makes it clear that there are dangers and they're going to come after you and the dangers are real. And once those dangers happen, it's not a few minutes. It's not a few moments. It is years of your life that you're never going to get back. It is years of your life that these effects are going to have. It's years of, of your life that you're going to have to deal with these consequences and these dangers and probably even for the rest of your life. And so you have to ask yourself that question. Is these, are these moments of pleasure worth the years of consequences, the years of danger that are going to come as a result of this little decision, of this harmless fun, of this innocent thing that's happening over here? Am I really prepared five years from now to still be answering for what I did in this moment? D.A. Garrett, in commenting about this passage, he once wrote this. He said, The man who indulges himself... In sexual sins will pay the price a hundred times over. 
He will pay the price both in personal degeneration and financial depletion. You see, that's the second warning that Solomon gives to his son here. Uh, that's the second warning of the danger that Solomon tells his son results from adultery. That if, you're, if you, son, take the bait of the forbidden woman, it will cost you financially. This will be a financial setback for you that you probably will never fully recover from. In fact, he goes on in verse 10 and he says it this way. He says, Strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's House. Now, the foreigner's house could be a couple different things. The foreigner's house could be the husband of the forbidden woman who seeks kind of restitution for what you've done. It could be the father of the forbidden woman, if she's not married, who seeks restitution for what you have done with his daughter. And honestly, in this context, could be um, a pagan priest who is going to charge you for the services of a pagan temple prostitute. And so you're going to have to pay that fine. Either way, it, the, the, the reality is this, that the money that you worked hard for, the money that, that you strived for and you earned, it's no longer yours. It belongs to somebody else. Your earnings, your income, they're going to be spent on somebody else. And that's true in Solomon's day, but it's just as true today as it was back then. In fact, I want you to think, how many people do you know, or maybe you or, or, or somebody you know, how many people are financially struggling because of decisions they made, even in these decisions? How, how much money is spent on alimony? How much money is spent in child support? How much money is spent on lawyer fees and court costs? And I know infidelity and adultery are not the only reasons that, that you would have to pay those things, I know, but, but it is one of the results of it, that folks have to pay those things because of the choices they made, because they stepped over the lines, because they physically stepped over the boundaries that God put. And so how much of that will they never see again? In fact, to take it a different step, a couple that stayed together uh, was, was just trying to help other couples kind of see the, the devastation that an adulterous situation would cause. And so they, they went back and they started adding up financially what it cost them. And so this is a couple that decided to stay together. And so they ended up totaling over $15,000 is what was spent. And that $15,000 covered things like marriage counseling. It covered time away from work. And it covered the amount of money. Um, in fact, no, sorry, it didn't even cover the amount of money that he spent um, in the six-month affair that he spent on doing all the things for somebody else that he could have spent on his family. So $15,000 in the recovery effort to save their marriage from the effects of this adulterous relationship. And the wife wrote this, and, and I want to share this with you because she is, again, writing this just so that she can make other folks aware of the choices that they're making. And she writes this. She said, All the extra money that we had once earmarked to provide something extra for our boys to improve our home or to take future vacations, it was all gone because of my husband's actions. Our kids won't have the memories of really great family vacations as they grow up. They will likely not go to Disney World during their childhood. You see, these we were once in a position to provide these things, but these selfish acts of my husband didn't just rob him, didn't just rob me, but it took all of this away from our family. You see, the moment that you step over the line, 
is the moment you literally become a sin to your slave. It is the moment that you work and you toll and you do all this stuff, but somebody else gets the profit from your labors. It's somebody else benefits from what you're doing. It's the moment that you give your earnings willfully and for this moment of gratification, this moment of pleasure, and you willingly say, I'm going to give up everything I'm earning or part of everything I'm earning from now on. That Nobody wants to give up money that you work hard for, and yet you're so willing to do it for these few moments of pleasure. You see, when you step over the line, you are the slave to sin because your earnings go to someone else. Adultery will drain your resources that you've stored up in the past, but it will also deplete your earnings that you're going to make in the future. There's a very real financial danger that comes with an adulterous relationship. You see, but infidelity doesn't just take a toll on someone's finances. It takes a toll on them physically as well. There's a physical danger with adultery that Solomon talks about with his son. And he does this very quickly um, in verse 11 of the text. He says in verse 11, At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. One of the amazing things about the Bible is really was that it was written thousands of years ago. And yet you can find stuff in the Bible that is even more relevant today than it was when it was originally written. I want you to think about that for a moment. That when Solomon wrote about the physical body of indulgence being consumed, People were not dying of AIDS or other STDs like they are today. There wasn't a, an epidemic of AIDS like there was in the 80s and 90s. There wasn't um, an outbreak of STDs going on. None of that. They didn't have knowledge of those kind of things. But he's writing the fact that your body will be consumed, that there's this physical danger really in kind of context of exhaustion, that once you cross over the line, you'll be consumed. Your flesh and your body will be consumed. It will be depleted and devoured, either by infections eating you away from the inside and diseases from the inside, or just by the sheer exhaustion of externally trying to keep up with all the lies and trying to keep up with the double life. There's an old saying, that doesn't necessarily, uh, it, it can fit a lot of different contexts, but the old saying that I was taught when I was a kid was you know what happens when a man burns a candle at both ends? It burns out twice as fast. You see, Solomon makes it clear that there is, if you engage in this adulterous relationship, then you are committing, you are entering into a suicide mission because you are intentionally engaging your life and endangering your life and your physical health. And any other time, we would call that crazy. Any other time, we would call that reckless behavior where you intentionally endanger your life. And get this, for what? You're not doing it for an honorable cause. You're not doing it for something noble. You're doing it for something that's temporarily thrill that's going to be gone and it's going to cost you way more financially and way more physically than you ever thought it was. So you may in, enter into the suicide mission, but it's not for a noble cause. It's not for, for honor or for valor. It's for your own selfishness. And it's going to hurt you in the long run, financially and physical, physically, which brings us to our final danger and is this that there is a very real mental danger of adultery, a very real mental danger that happens. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably the biggest danger that affects those who uh, uh, fall into premarital adultery. You see, one of the hardest things, or one of the things that make the teenage years so hard, is that the body is physically prepared for sex, but the mind and the emotions and the mental status is not ready for intimacy. 
there's a, there, those are two different things. There's the physical act and the infancy that comes with it. And so physically, our body is ready for that when we're teenagers. But mentally and emotionally, we are not ready for the effects that come with that. And so this makes it very difficult uh, for folks in those teenage years. And so we're going to talk about these two dangers because Solomon really presents us with two different mental dangers. The first one that he shows us is in verse 6. Right In verse 6, he talks about um, the, the woman, the forbidden woman. She doesn't consider the path of life, and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. You see, sex outside of marriage is never going to bring clarity to the situation. It's only going to bring more and more questions. It's only going to cause more instability in the relationship. There are so many young people um, who think that if they can get to this physical level in a relationship, that it's going to clarify things for them, that their answer, they're going to have answers to the question. But I can tell you it never, that's the delusion. It never works that way. I can tell you I've talked with, with lots of teenagers that come to this point and they realize that, man, because they acted that way, because they involved themselves physically with someone they shouldn't have been involved physically with, man, they have so many more questions and there's so much more confusion about their relationship and it's so unstable than it was less, excuse me, it's such less, it's less stable than it was before. You see, for those who um, aren't married and, and they're dealing with premarital adultery, their questions really kind of come like this of, you know, does this person really love me or do they just love what I'm doing for them? Does this person really love me for me or do they love what I'm doing with them and for them? In fact, the question evolves into kind of this, if, if I stopped it, if I put an end to it, or if I said this is the line and I'm not going to cross it, would the person still love me and be with me? You see, those are the insecurities. Those are the instabilities that come because of the affair that happened, because of the adulterous situation. It never brings clarity. It always mean, brings instability and more questions. For those who are married, the questions um, really have to do with the instability of trying to cover up the adulterous relationship. They find themselves uh, trying to come up with lie after lie after lie, and trying to cover their tracks. And mentally, this starts to take a toll on them because they're consistently worried about someone else finding out. They're, they're constantly questioning themselves. They're constantly questioning what if and what does my wife know or what does my husband know. They're constantly questioning of uh, did I delete those texts and did I, did I take that phone number out of my phone? They're, they're, what if she finds out or what if he finds out about the trips out of town or, or this or that? And so there's all these questions that are constantly surrounding someone's mind, constantly in someone's mind that honestly there's this source of anxiety that would not be there and there's this this insecurity this unstable relationship this unstable state of life that would not be there if we hadn't taken that step over the line in the first place you see <laughs> adulterous relationships always bring question and instability and they will never ever bring answers and security into your life that's the danger. Uh, that's the first mental danger that Solomon addresses. There's a second mental danger that Solomon addresses here, and it's he warns against the regret and the remorse that comes after the fact. And skip down with me to verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 12, he says, And you will say, at the end of your life, when everything is done, you will say, How I hated discipline, and how my heart despised 
correction. Going on down to verse 13. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my mentors. I didn't incline my ears. That's what we talked about last week. I didn't turn my ears so that I was listening to that and I was blocking out everything else. You see, if, if you do this, if you don't avoid the forbidden woman, then you're going to spend this guy at the rest of his life regretting that decision. At the end of his life, years later, he's going to regret that moment that he didn't walk away or he didn't uh, end the relationship or he didn't take a different action. You're going to regret that you listened to her words instead of the voices of wisdom. You're going to regret that you didn't exercise self-control and self-discipline. You're going to regret that you didn't tune out everything else and listen to the voices of your teachers and your mentors and the words of wisdom. You're going to carry this regret with you for the rest of your life and for the rest of your life, you're going to look back at this moment, this defining moment in your life, and you're going to wish with every fiber of your being that you never took that step. You're going to regret that you didn't put a stop to it. You're going to regret that you didn't, uh, that you let it get started in the first place. You're going to look back over your entire life. And all of us look back over our life from time to time, and all of us have these moments where we're like, if I could, if I could just change one thing. This is what it would be. If I could just take back, if I just have a do-over, this would be it. And for you folks that um, that are toying with this idea, for this son, this son who is being tempted in this adulterous affair, if you follow through with it, this will be that moment. For the rest of your life, you will think back to this moment, this defining moment, and say, if I had it to do over again, this would be the one thing above everything else that I would change. This would be the one thing that I would want to do differently with my life because this is the moment that I can pinpoint all the headaches and all the heartaches starting. This is the moment that caused the financial hardships that robbed you of your earnings and robbed your family of pleasures that they could have been involved in. This is the moment that caused your children and your spouse to look at you very differently than they did before. This is the moment that caused everyone to question and mistrust every word you said and every action you took. This is the moment that really ripped your family apart. This is the moment that caused your health problems and your health to deteriorate. This is the moment that felt so right in the moment but felt so wrong afterwards. And you're going to live the rest of your life with this regret in this remorse. And it's going to follow you not just for a day, not two days, but even at the end of your life, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I wish I would have done it differently. And so we come back to this question. After a few moments of pleasure, are they really worth all the danger? Are they worth the financial hardships that are going to cost you and your family literally thousands of dollars? Are they worth the suicide mission of endangering your physical health? Or are they worth the, the mental instability and the regret and the remorse that you're going to have to walk in and walk through for the rest of your life? Are the dangers of adultery, they far outweigh a scarlet letter that you're going to wear on the outside of your chest. You see, the dangers of an adulterous relationship really go far beyond it. They are mental, they are physical, they are financial, and man, they are long-lasting even to the end of your life. But see, there's good news about this passage. And part of the reason we go through this passage is not just to tell you the dangers of it and warn you of that, but Solomon really gives us some defenses against adultery. And he's going to give us four ways 
uh, to defend against adultery. And we're going to go through these really quick, I promise you, not near as in-depth as we went into the four dangers. But these four ways to defend yourself and your marriage against adultery, and I'm going to run through them quickly. He says the first way is to maintain discretion. You find it all the way back at the very uh, beginning of the chapter. He starts off this chapter with a common phrase of, Son, listen, pay attention. What I'm getting ready to tell you is super important. Pay attention. He starts so many passages like that. And then in verse 2, he says, So that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. In other words, guard what comes out of your mouth. One of the best defenses against adultery is to pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth. And you're like, well, Michael, what does that have to do with defending against adultery? Simply this, because very few adulterous relationships start with a physical action. In fact, they almost always start with words rather than action. They almost always start with an intimate exchange of words rather than an intimate exchange of action. There's almost always words that precede what happens afterwards. And almost always starts with words of affection either being given or received somewhere other than at your home. And so Solomon says, if you want to safeguard yourself in your marriage against adultery, then watch what comes out of your mouth. In fact, take it a step further. Use discretion. Don't just watch the words that come out of your mouth, but use discretion and, and, and perceive and, and guard against the perception of what is coming out of your mouth. Make sure that you are clear in what you're saying. And if you need to, make sure you're extra clear in what you're saying. And make sure that there's no way to take any other meaning into what you're saying. Guard what comes out of your mouth. Be discreet about what comes out of your mouth. Don't discuss private things with people you shouldn't be discussing private things with. Don't talk about things that should be talked about with your spouse, with someone other than your spouse. You see, that's the danger. That's the safeguard that he's telling you. If you're going to safeguard your marriage, then be discreet in what your lips say. Be discreet in the perception of the words that come out of your mouth. Don't leave it up to some additional opportunity or additional saying. The second defense against adultery is to maintain distance. Either created or, or, or excuse me, manage distance. Either created or maintain a physical distance between yourself and and really any source or perceived source, possible source of infidelity. I want you to see what he tells his son in verse 8. In verse 8 he says, Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. You know that she's likely to be at home. Don't let your path cross hers. But if she's going to be at home, then don't be near her house. Avoid her house. If you have to, son, take the long way home. Go around the block rather than coming by the door of her house. And is it convenient? No. It's never going to be convenient to safeguard yourself. It's never going to be convenient to, to add protections in your life. But this is the way of protecting yourself, not just from temptation, but also protecting your reputation as well. You see, you can be walking perfectly innocently down a road by this lady's house who has a reputation of not being perfect nor innocent. You can be walking down the road by her house and in just the right moment somebody sees you walking by the door and then just the right moment she steps out. And from their perception, from their point of view, it looks like you either just came out of the house and she came to tell you goodbye or it looks like that you were in the house or you were close to the house. And that's how rumors get started. Rumors start to spread and rumors uh, become reality for some folks. And, and all of a sudden you're accused of all kinds of things that didn't really happen. And I know what you're thinking. 
Those people should really mind their own business or those people should keep their mouth shut. And you're right. I'm going to agree with you on both of those. They should mind their own business. They should keep their mouth shut, but they don't. Let's be honest. They don't so often. And so you find yourselves having to guard yourself against all these things that someone else perceived and someone else said. And it may not be true. So listen, this is much a protection for your... Um, your temptation as much as it is your reputation. You need to manage some distance between us and anything that could possibly be a temptation or perceived as a temptation in the first place. You see, this is what promote or prompted Billy Graham to create what we call the Billy Graham Rule. And the Billy Graham Rule is simply this, that he himself nor anyone that works for him would ever be alone in a room or go out to eat with someone alone of the opposite sex. Did you hear that? So, so I'll never be in a lone room, alone in a room with someone uh, of the opposite sex, and I'll never go out to eat alone with someone of the opposite sex. And so, if Billy Graham was literally on an elevator by himself, the doors opened up, and a single a, a lady got on the elevator by herself, he would immediately step off, and he'd either go take the stairs or he'd just push the button and wait for the next elevator to show up. Because he, he wasn't worried about himself giving in temptation as much he was worried about protecting his reputation of what other people might perceive. And so teenagers and parents of teenagers, listen to me. When you think about the boundaries of your relationships and the boundaries that you set up in dating, I want you to think as much about your reputation as your temptation. Think about guarding your reputation as much as you're guarding your t- yourself from your temptation. Allow them to allow teens to manage the distance and protect their reputation because it is essential for what's going to come after that. You see, the third defense against adultery is a beautiful one. It is marriage delight to find joy and satisfaction within the boundaries that God has placed around the gift of sex. And after speaking in metaphors about the exclusivity of sex just within marriage, and it should only be within marriage and, and not anywhere else, you shouldn't be going anywhere else, looking for it anywhere else, he says this in verse 18. He says, oh, excuse me, let me put it up there. Oh, yep, yeah, sorry, here we go. Let your fountain be blessed. And take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Understand that the wife of the husband or, or the husband is your wife or your husband is a blessing from God to you. This is where physical intimacy is allowed. And if you will enjoy it within the limitations and enjoy it within the context of that relationship, then it is a beautiful thing. This is the channel by which God gave us to enjoy and experience physical intimacy. Warren Wiersbe says this, and I love this quote. He says that sex within marriage is a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment. But sex outside of marriage is a sewer that defies or defiles anything it touches. You see, there's a level of satisfaction and contentment and intimacy that's enjoyed within the confines of marriage that cannot happen anywhere else. And Solomon points this out um, so that if you pursue this woman... Then, then you're going to miss out on things at home. That you really need to to kind of point your your radar in one direction. That you need to take pleasure in the wife of your youth, the one that God gave you from the beginning. And you won't be looking for pleasure somewhere else because you're going to get it in a place that is supposed to be there. One author put it this way, and I love this quote. He says that when a husband and wife are faithful to the Lord and to each other. Neither of them will be looking for satisfaction anywhere else. 
If they love each other and seek to please each other and the Lord, their relationship will be one of deepening joy and satisfaction. They won't have time nor desire to look over the fence and see if the grass is greener on the other side. They won't have the time nor the desire to look over the fence and see if the grass is greener because they won't be enjoying the design that God put in place. They'll be enjoying what they can get at home and only at home versus anywhere else. And there's one last thing that is a protection for us or a defense for us against adultery. And it comes from advice from my grandmother of all places. My grandmother always told me, don't be anywhere and don't be doing anything that you'd be ashamed to be doing if Jesus came back in that moment. You see, honestly, that kept me out of a lot of trouble when I was a kid. The fact that the master of my soul, the master of salvation, the creator of all the universe, could discover what I was doing at any moment was enough motivation for me to stay on the right path. And honestly, it should be a great defense. Probably our greatest defense against adultery is the master's discovery. That the master will discover your infidelity, your indiscretions. In fact, he doesn't really discover them because he knows them from the very beginning. Solomon makes this clear in verse 21. He says, For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. You see, our greatest defense against adultery is that the eyes of God are always on us. In every moment, in every place, in every situation, in every uh, instance, God's eyes are on us. In every place. There is no place you can't go. There's no place too dark that He can't see. There's no place far away that you can't run to. And so you might be able to sneak around and hide things from other people. And and you might even get away with a lot from a lot of people. But you're never going to get away from the eyes of God. He sees and He knows. And I want to share with you something from my heart. As heartbreaking as it is... For a husband to have to look at his wife and tell about an affair that he had. Or for a wife to tell about her husband about a situation. As heartbreaking as it is for two young people who are getting ready to get married to have to tell them about the history that they've had. As heartbreaking as that is, I want you to imagine for just a moment you having to look face to face with the God who loved you enough to die on a cross for you. Imagine uh, looking face to face with the God who loved you and sacrificed His own Son and yet you sold out that grace for a cheap satisfaction. Imagine the heartbreak that you're going to feel in that moment when He discovers, in fact, He already knows about your indiscretions and your infidelities. So I'm going to leave you with this advice because this is probably our best defense against adultery is the advice of my grandmother. Don't be anywhere or doing anything that you'd be ashamed to do if Jesus was right by your side. Because He is. He sees all and He knows all. Let's pray to God.